0: Hi, this is church, so you know, Bibles are good things to have. Ooh. Or you can get out a fake Bible on your phone. You can do that. Woo! I said it. I said it. (laughs) All right, so Life and Ministry of Jesus Christ. Are you guys liking this series? Yeah? Is it all right? Are you digging it? Is it okay with you? If you ever want me to start preaching something else, I can, but do no. well, let's change it right now. Let's change it tonight. Don't. Don't ever like Jesus. <laughs> uh, turn to Leviticus. No, I'm just kidding. That's just <laughs> <That's> about- <laughs> <laughs> Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter five. We're blown through the Beatitudes doing two per week. We are almost done. This is the second to last week in the Beatitudes. And uh, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and please stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And then this week's, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Your word is awesome. I'm so stoked to get through it with all of these people. And so, Father, I I pray that you would anoint tonight, Lord. You are a personal God, so speak to each and every one of us personally and corporately as well, Lord. And so, Father, be God tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen. 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 Have a seat. Relax. Don't fall asleep, though. So we we learned last week that that there's a, there's a purpose to Christianity, right? Uh, Christianity isn't something we we just label ourselves and and, and we kind of just still go about our business. But the, but there's a whole purpose which is to bring all things together with Christ. And as Christians, you know, people spend their entire lives trying to find their purpose, but but Jesus clearly gives us one here. We know what we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives, and that is pursuing righteousness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And here we get to this, this interesting topic. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, and blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I, I, I really, I'm going to be uh, completely transparent with all of you. I, I had a very rough week, uh, it, just super rough. Uh, I had school, I had, uh, I had a lot of obligations to different people. And a lot of the times uh, when you have so many things to do, and when especially when you're in ministry, you can feel yourself wearing thin. You you can feel yourself coming to the end of yourself very, very fast. And, and I, I, I've, I found out that God really loves to do that to me. <laughs> I, I, I picture my suffering like God almost laughing, <laughs> like saying, yep, welcome to ministry, Zach. You sure you want to do this? And I keep saying yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I can make so much money doing other stuff, but I love God and I love His people. And uh, the whole the whole point of this is is that uh, I want to be transparent with you in, in in saying that I am weary. I'm very weary tonight, and I'm not saying this uh, to prepare you for a bad sermon. Right? I'm really tired, guys. So don't expect anything good from me. I'm I'm saying this because. Whenever I'm weary, and whenever I really stretch myself thin, and maybe some of you can relate, I I, I find it hard to feel God. I, I I really find it hard to see Him. I, I honestly I I find when I come to the end of myself sometimes, and I'm weary and I'm tired. A lot of the times, I just say, God, leave me alone. I want to sleep, and, and then I sleep, and I still wake up tired. God always brings me to the end of myself for a purpose, and he always brings us to the end of ourselves for a very specific purpose. And, and one reason I really believe that God, God allows this to happen, it's because it's to get outside of the physical, it's to get outside of this, this, this facade that we give ourselves, and, and, and this thing that we put over ourselves, and he really wants to get down to the heart. A lot of the times we go through trials and we go through all of these things because Jesus wants to get straight to our heart. He's tired of all this stuff that we put in front of it. And when we see blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy and blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Yes, it says blessed are the pure in heart and we we see that as a heart issue, but mercy is a heart issue as well. And the entire Beatitudes and really the Sermon on the Mount in general, it, it, it it is all about the heart. We learned that that the Beatitudes, as well as the entire Sermon on the Mount, it is uh, descriptive before it is prescriptive, meaning that it describes the Christian before it tells the Christian what to do. And I want to let you know that as we go into this concept of mercy, that mercy does not mean overlooking sin. Mercy does not mean ignoring evil. Mercy does not mean ignoring and let people roll over us. To display mercy and to display forgiveness it by no means means that nobody gets what they deserve. It means that Christ has labeled us something else. And we see to be merciful does not mean to overlook everyone's sin. It simply means to be concerned about the heart of other people. We're going to see about the hearts of others and the hearts of ourselves. Mercy defined not only in English, but in Greek, you know, it's the same exact word in the Bible as it is in our English language. Uh, it, It means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. And we know this in a grand scheme of things with God, how, how we, have, we have sinned against Him. We have committed crimes against our Lord, our Creator, our Savior, our King, Jesus. We, we have committed so much crimes against our God. And what, what God has done, He has pardoned, He has had compassion, He has forgiven us of our sins. And He has allowed us to come into the fold of God. He has allowed us to be sons and daughters by the name of Christ Jesus, when He could have easily, just as easily, destroyed us. As mercy. Does he overlook our sin? No. He redirects the wrath to Jesus. And off of us. I look at 1 Samuel chapter 23 as a good example of the way that us practically, we can display mercy. But also the way that we can obtain mercy as well. Because I think we can all agree that King David, the character in the Bible, sinned a lot. Am I wrong? Maybe. Come on, somebody. He sinned a lot. He sinned a lot, man. Dude was a wreck. I, I sometimes go to the Bible to be encouraged by David because he was way worse than I am sometimes. Man, this David, this mighty man of God, but God always showed him mercy. And sometimes it, it just it, it baffled me that, that David can commit adultery, murder, You can do all these things and God will just show him mercy. But I see that when David, before he was king, was in exile, and this we find in Samuel chapter 23, uh, David was in exile and his men and him were were camping in this one cave. They were camping out in this cave and, and Saul being a jealous king, knowing that David was about to take the throne, knowing that David was the next that God had anointed. Saul was jealous. Saul had evil in his heart, and he sought to kill David. And so Saul finally found David, where him and his men were hiding. And he went into the cave, and he went to go seek to capture, arrest, and kill David. One of David's men finally found out, and he said, "Saul is coming quick. You better get the jump on him." And so David hid in a crev- crevasse, crevice, crevasse. In a cave, and he snuck up on Saul, and he took a knife, and he ripped a part of his garment off. And, and Saul is here, and, and David could have ended it right there. David was supposed to be king, Saul has turned mad, and, and David's got an army behind him. David could have easily ended Saul's life right then and there. In fact, it was prophesied. God actually promised David, I will deliver your enemy into your hands. And when you have him, you can do with him what you wish. Meaning that David had the liberty to kill Saul. Once David, once the Lord had delivered Saul into David's hands, David had the liberty to do with with him whatever he pleased. Kill him, capture him. Make a mockery of him or let him go. We see in verse 5, it says, Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David could have easily ended Saul right there. And in fact, there were several other points in 1 Samuel where David could have easily killed Saul. There was another portion of Scripture, uh, a couple chapters afterwards, where Saul was laying on the floor, sleeping, exposed. David and all his men were going through the camp, and David could have just ended it right there, but he didn't. David was more concerned about the heart of Saul than he was about revenge. We see that uh, this, is the Lord, uh, this is the Lord's anointed one. God has chosen Saul for this specific time to be king. And you know what? I may be king one day, but he is king now. The Lord has labeled him as such, and I will respect that, and I will show mercy on him. He was concerned. David was, was concerned with how God had labeled him. Many times there's so many annoying people in my life. I don't know about you, but like there's just some annoying, none of you guys, don't worry. There's, there's just some annoying people in my life. There's, there's people that will sit down with me or, or they'll speak with me and I'm just like, I want them to stop. And it's for several reasons. Maybe, maybe they're just mean. I have, I have a very big problem with rudeness sometimes. You know, not joking rudeness, but, but people that are just deliberately rude for no reason, that, that, that vexes me. And when rude people, it's, it's concerning to me. But not only that, we can go at a global scale. We can go at issues that we all know rape, domestic violence, abortion, all things that cut to our heart. There's a lot of trouble in this world. And once again, I'm not being pessimistic because there's there's a message at the end of joy and hope, and that's Jesus. But I feel honestly that sometimes, sometimes I, I look at the brokenness of some people, and I don't look at them as God has labeled them, which are treasures that God pursues and God loves and God wants, but I see them as annoying, I see them as pests, and I see them as not worthy of mine or God's time. This is the way I look at some people. I look at some people and and, and they just annoy me for whatever reason it may be. But I don't see them through the lens of the gospel. If I were to see them through the lens of the gospel, I would not stop until they knew Jesus. This is an issue with my heart. My disconcern for others' hearts reveals an issue in my heart. My lack of concern for other people's hearts reveals something profoundly wrong with my heart. You see, because the merciful one will show it to those who are weaker, poorer, those who mourn, those who have been hurt, but also those who hurt others. We always pray for those children that are being aborted. How often do we pray for those that are doing it? How often do we pray for their salvation? I'm convicted sometimes because a lot of the times, us Christians, we like to pick on very specific people. We like like to pick on very specific people, and I'll give you two. Those who get abortions and those who are homosexual. We as Christians love to pick on them. And rarely pray for them. And this is an issue that I'm working on in my heart. Because I grew up in the church. I grew up in this prejudice. It's something that I have to look deep in my heart and say, Do I have mercy towards those who need Jesus? Do I have a deep concern for their heart? See, the merciful one will be compassionate for those who are outwardly sinful. Sinful. Jesus had compassion for the tax collectors, for the prostitutes, and all the sinners. Those are the people he chilled with. Those are the people he ate with. Those are the people he hung out with. Those are the people that he built relationships with. And we saw, we saw earlier on in our study that the people that he chose as disciples, pretty wrecked dudes. <laughs> pretty wrecked dudes. Not really qualified in our estimation. The merciful man does not see crimes committed against him as well as a problem that he can solve with more sin. You know what I mean? It's kind of a logical thing. When we extend mercy, it's it's a rather logical step. It's a logical process because a lot of the times we feel like if those commit evil, if people commit evil against us, whether it be small or whether it be large, whether it be a problem with your boss or whether it be a problem with your spouse— Okay, Uh, a lot of the times we we tend to return uh, malice for malice. We tend to return rudeness for rudeness and and we return these things in in attempts to fix it. We return yelling for yelling. We we, we return sin for sin is basically what I'm saying. And what, and we've talked about this before in previous studies that, that you can't mend your broken leg with your broken hands. It's a vicious cycle. You can't mend your broken leg with your broken hands. Just as you cannot return sin for sin and expect anything to get better. If somebody gossips against you, why on earth would it be logical to gossip against them? Because then it's just going to return right back to them and they're going to return it right back to you. Mercy is the solution for peace. Mercy is the solution to changing our hearts. The merciful person has a deep concern for those that commit sins against them the merciful have a a, a deep need and a deep desire to really help those who will never help them ever. That's what the merciful person does. And and God rewards that. It says, blessed are those who show mercy for they shall obtain mercy. God rewards that just as he rewarded David time and time again, because he had shown mercy to Saul time and time again. And so we know that those who are merciful, those who are part of God's kingdom, have a deep concern for those that will never probably show them any kindness. And we see this, you know, Jesus died for those who would probably never even want him. But he wants them. This is reflecting our Savior. And, and, and so this gets into the point where we look at the pure in heart. It says right here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, so we know that that a Christian has a deep uh, concern for the hearts of others. But I, I, I know in my tendency, in my my sinful tendency, I really I love to look at the sins of others and actually seek to help them, all while ignoring my own. I don't know about you, but I mean, I'm, I'm I suck. <laughs> I want you to picture something. And this in youth ministry, and you know, for those of you who are in college, you probably know this fairly well this situation. A girl um, is dating a guy who is a complete and total loser. A girl's dating a guy who is a total moron. He mistreats her, he lies to her, he cheats on her, and he steals away her purity. Boo. Boo dude we, we we i see this all the time you know in youth ministry and also I'm a college kid so he's just like i see this i'm like why that she's so beautiful and she's so amazing it's like and he's what the heck is he like what kind of monster birthed that like like what like no it's like no it's like it's one of those things where it's like you see these types of men and you're like that's not human almost you know what i mean that that's not human or it's like these the, some of these guys are disgusting you know, and 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 sorry, this is bitterness, like past things that I've gone through. I'm sorry, you know, it's coming out. It's all coming out, guys. Let's stop and pray. <laughs> uh, repent. Now, her friends know this, and I, I think a lot of you can relate to this type of situation. Her, her her friends know this. Her friends know that this guy is a schmuck. Okay, so they get together and research every aspect of this guy. They follow him. They stalk him and find it. And they document every single point where this guy has gone wrong. They go on his Facebook and his Instagram. And they record every naughty thing that he's ever done or every, that ever uh, he's posted. And it's, they've, they've documented. And they've even documented how he spends his money. And then, then they write a 30-page thesis on how, why this boyfriend stinks. Right? And then they present it to the girl. And she reads it. Is that going to change anything? No, (laughs) it changes nada. No matter what type of logic her friends can present to her, no matter what, she's like, oh, but he's so sweet. You just don't know him like I do. (laughs) Right? Can I get an amen? Like like, this this is something that that she doesn't listen. Because if the heart is being driven one way where the mind is, it doesn't matter. If if the heart is going in one direction, if the heart is clinging on to something, who the heck matters what I think? In our culture, the heart signifies emotions, right? In our culture, it signifies emotions, what we feel and what compels us. Uh, But the Bible has a different meaning. The heart has an entirely different meaning in the Bible. And really, when the Bible speaks of the heart, it speaks of the seat of our affections and our motivations, the seat of our affections and our motivations. That, that's, that's when Jesus speaks to the heart. When he speaks to the pure of heart. Pure are those with, when their motivations and their affections are pure. Okay, It's pure motivations. The whole of our inner life. The inward that drives the outward. And this is why Jesus was always concerned with the heart. Because he knows that it's not what you do that makes who you are. It's who you are that makes what you do. Okay. Okay. Who you are makes what you do. In Proverbs four twenty three, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Where your heart is, where your affections are, where where the core of your motivations are, that will dictate every single decision that you make. And the issues that we as Christians need to look at are heart issues, first and foremost. Before practical issues, before uh, we tell ourselves to do what we want to do, before we try to dictate what other people's ought to do, what other people ought to do, or what we ought to do, we ought to look at our hearts first, because it is out of our heart that drives our actions. Now it's funny how, um, and not in, in, in you see in movies and, and, in, and in culture, it's it's our heart is the one place that is untainted, isn't it? Follow your heart. What does your heart say, right? You see that in romantic comedies all the time, right? Just, just, what does your heart say? Follow your heart. Follow your heart. For guys and girls, that means totally different things, okay? Follow your heart. The, it, it, and, and for some reason, it, it, if everything else in the world is sick and impure, we can, we can just look into our hearts and find the right thing to do. For, uh, like, the outward would never affect the inward. Like the impurity of our world would never affect our hearts, right? Our heart is the one untainted, purified, clean thing that we have. Right. You see, I often find myself living a double life. One outwardly and one inwardly. You see, Jesus says that that the problem can't be the solution, he says in Matthew 15, 18, but the words you speak come from your heart. That's what defiles you. He's saying that the, the sin that you commit, it all starts here. It all starts right here in your corazón. Okay, this is where it is. And, and a lot of times why I say I, I, I find myself living a double life, it's because I'm, I outwardly praise God while being inwardly impure. If our hearts are the one clean thing, then why do I sin? Because it is the inward, the driving force by which all that we do, if we just look into our hearts and that's the only pure thing that we have, then how on earth would I be able to sin? If my convictions dictate what I do, then why is sin even an issue for me? I live a double life. I don't know about you, but I live a double life all the time, and especially working in ministry. And you can do this at your job. And I think this is why we like we like spy movies. To be honest, (laughs) I think this is why we like spy movies so much because there's this there's this tension and there's something that builds up inside of us when we see a guy who has this secret life and he's keeping it from his family and he's and and there's this always we're on the edge of our seats wondering if they're going to find out. I don't know if any of you watch Breaking Bad. Okay, but I, I watch it. I will confess it on the pulpit. I watch that. I mean, I, I'm not proud of it, but I, I, I watch it sometimes, every time. And <laughs> and, 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 there, and the care the main character Walter White, he he lives this double life. He lives this double life where outwardly he seems just like a middle class school teacher, sweet guy, family man. But 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 he lives this other life where where he cooks crystal meth. And what happens is when he's, when he's living this life, he thinks that he can separate the two. He thinks that he can, he, can, he can commit this sin and still keep his family as well. In fact, he will start to justify this because it may benefit him and his family financially. He's saying, I'm just looking out for my family. I'm looking out for my family. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And what eventually happens is that the two clash together and chaos starts. Absolute chaos. When we live this double life, when we live this life in our heart, when when we have a specific sin that we never, ever tell anybody, no matter what, even those we are closest to, when we keep this sin, when we keep this anger, when we keep this bitterness inside of us, and we try to live this life, eventually what will happen is they will boil to the surface and chaos will start. And what it does is it keeps me from really seeing... God Blessed are the pure in heart For they shall see God This is what I tell my junior hires all the time It's simple but it's profound And it really helps me When you're driving And you get gunk on your windshield What do you do? You wash it off What happens if you never wash your windshield? You can't see when you're driving What happens when you can't see when you're driving? You crash You crash Do you just hurt yourself when you crash? Not usually. You hurt others. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are those who walk in a pure way. Blessed are those who practice righteousness. Blessed are those that will not let sin get too deep ingrained into their hearts. Blessed are those who sin, recognize that for what it is, and pull it out immediately. When I keep sin inside of me, it boils up and I can't feel God. But I want to feel God. And sometimes I can't fix my sin, right? We, we discussed this last week. Sometimes you just can't fix it. Sometimes there's these sins. There's, there's this baggage inside of us, whether it's somebody else committing something against us or whether it's us committing something against somebody else, whatever it may be. Uh, it, it hinders me. It hinders me. And I can't fix it. I don't know. I, I try to fix it. I can't wash myself clean. And I don't know why I can't. I want to feel God, but, but I can't. I want to seek his face. I want to live my, a life that pleases him. I want all these things. But sometimes I, I feel unable because my heart is in a, a bad place. This entire week, my heart has been in a really bad place, guys. It's, it's just been, it's been in a really bad place. And it, it's, I've been reading my word. I've been in, I, I've been praying. My, my schedule with the Lord, my, my personal time with the Lord has not changed at all. But there's some things that just happen in our life. There's some circumstances that this life just gets rough. And a lot of times I retreat into myself instead of looking outward and begging for help. David says in Psalm 24, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in this holy place? Only those whose hands and pu- uh, hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. Is that you guys? They will receive the Lord's blessing and have the right relationship with God their Savior. Such people may seek you and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. Oh man. I can't. Apparently according to this, It says, those whose hands are clean and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will get to see God. And so automatically, I'm disqualified. Automatically, I'm disqualified. I I, I can't see God. I I can't be with God. I can't. The more my heart gets calloused, the more things happen to me, the more times I get impure, and uh, the more times I sin, I guess I'm just retreating further and further away. And I, I'm, really, I'm sharing this, guys, because I, I want to let you know that I, I'm going through all of this with you. Maybe some of you guys, life is great right now. Why are you being so depressing? Sorry. But this is what I'm feeling. And so David felt the same way. He says, but only those who are pure and can experience God. Only those who are clean and spotless can enter into his presence, apparently. And and I don't know about you, but that's not me. That's not me. And, And David recognizes that too, because a couple of Psalms later in Psalm 51, he says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Meaning that David recognizes that you have to be pure and you have to be clean to enter into the presence of the Lord, to have a relationship with God. You must be clean. But then David asks, will you clean me, God? He says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back to my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. We We learn here that to be pure in heart is nothing of our own merit. To be pure in heart has nothing to do with the way we try and clean ourselves. Because I often say that religion and doing good and good worse, the law, it's not soap to clean yourself. It's Febreze to mask the smell. Right? Religion's Febreze. Okay? It's not soap. A lot of the times we try to clean ourselves with religion, but we're just making ourselves stinky. Febreze when, when it's really pungent, right? I mean, am I the only one? I just can't stand the smell of it. Have you ever seen someone who's super religious and you know they just got so much sin that they have? It's just, it's not pleasant, is it? It's not a pleasant thing to see. And God doesn't want that facade either. And so David really recognizes that there's a battle that takes place. And and David knows what it takes to see and experience God, but he cannot attain it. He says, I know that I have to be pure to enter into your presence, but Lord, unless you clean me yourself, I'm not going to be able to do it. Simple as that. It's a, it's, it's a simple gospel. You're dirty. You need cleaning. God will clean freely. In fact, you'll love it. David cannot attain this purity, so what do we do? And, 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 and here's, here's something I struggle with. I don't know about you. Do you know what? Biblically, you all struggle with it. This is it. What do you do when your mind is there, but your heart isn't? Have you guys ever had that? When, when your mind knows the things of the Lord, when your mind knows cognitively, you can understand what God wants you to do. You understand what he wants for your life, but, but your heart just isn't there. And, and it's not your fault. It's just one of those things where you have trouble with that. You know exactly what God wants for your life, yet you have trouble attaining it because your, your heart's just not motivated. What happens when there's a gap between your mind and your heart when you just don't feel it, when you know it, when you know it and you know what you need, you know, what's good for you, but you can't get it yourself because your heart really doesn't desire. it. Paul had the same struggle in Romans seven. He declares this. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. This is what Paul, Paul, the apostle, he says this. I, I love God's law with all my heart but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. He's saying, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by my sin and death? Paul recognizes, he said, I want to do awesome things for the Lord, but do you know what? I just don't want to. I want to, but I don't want to. And when I do want to, I don't. And when I don't want to do what I don't want to do, I do it. It's weird. But this is us. And, and he says, who will free me from this life that is dominated by my sin? And then, Thank you. Thank God. The answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. How do you purify yourself? You don't. How do you you get that pure heart? How do you get that pure pure heart that wants God, that desires God, that seeks God, that worships God? How do you get it? How do you attain it? You don't. But you position yourself under the waterfall of grace. Does that make sense? You see, what you do, you, you position yourself under God's grace. You position yourself under the cross. You curl up into a ball under the shadow of the cross, and you wait until God gives it to you. You pray. Now, you don't have to feel anything to pray. In fact, prayer is aligning your heart with God's heart. If your heart isn't where it should be and you're seeking God's heart, the two will meet eventually. That's a guarantee, that's a promise. 1 John 3 3 says, And every person who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. How can us as Christians experience and further God's kingdom in ways Israel never could? It all goes back to the cross. It all goes back to what Christ has done for us. And this is a simple message, guys. You see, the church is now under the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Christ we've been set free from the guilt and shame that Israel always experienced. Have you noticed that Israel was either straying away from God or feeling bad that they did? <laughs> this was the constant state of Israel. They're like, I hate you, God. Oh, I'm really scared of you now. <laughs> this is, this is the constant cycle, the constant cycle. They stray away. God says, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Don't do it, please. God says, Oh, I'm just kidding. I love you. Come back to me. They say, okay, I'll come back to you, Lord. And then they stray away again. Constant disobedience. Constant straying away. Constant fear that God is going to smite them. We have Jesus. You see, we we don't live in that place that Israel lived. We, We live under the cross. You see, because Jesus has taken all of that wrath, since Jesus has taken all of that baggage, we can now present ourselves and we can work in a, from a place where we're forgiven and we've been exchanged, we exchange kindness for kindness. Uh, God has extended so much grace to us and he loves us no matter what we do. And so now, knowing that and having that freedom, knowing that Jesus purifies us. We can now seek the face of God with liberty. Knowing that Jesus has made a way for us to be purified, it is now our job to seek his face. Jesus has wiped away the dirt. It's our job to press forward. And that's why it says in 1 John 3, 3, And every person who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure we walk in a perpetual state of seeking god's face because jesus has purified us him, uh, him uh, us jesus has purified us sorry i'm tired we approach his throne in confidence and now this isn't confidence in ourselves it's confidence in what christ has done for us i really struggled with this message I struggled with it because lately I've been having a hard time feeling God, knowing God, seeing God. I know it all in my head. I preach. I know the Bible well. I have a problem feeling it. I have a problem wanting it. I have a problem seeing the face of God. I have a problem seeing the beauty of God and everything. I have a problem looking at God's creation and being melted to tears because we all know that those moments that we've had right before or where God's is just so real don't you wish you can have that every single day sin gets in the way and so what I would submit and this is something that I need to work on too get away the filth God has purified us why would we put unneeded trash in us right confess your sins make sure that there is nothing separating you from the grace of god because it's no longer us separated from god it's now what we do to separate us from the grace of god okay know this grace provides a way for us to reach god sin and our lives in our flesh prevents us from going to grace And so, as we worship tonight, and I'm going to ask Dane to come up here in the worship team. As we worship tonight, seek God's face. Not trying to muster up any emotion. But rather, confess your sins to one another. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins. Make sure that there's no awkwardness between you and God. Have you ever tried to talk to a friend and there's just this awkward third party? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had a a, try to have a really deep conversation with one of your classmates or one of your coworkers or one of your best friends? And there's just this awkward third party right there that's standing there and keeping you from having intimacy with your friend or your spouse. Sin is the same way. We don't address the awkward third party, which is sin. We address it tonight. Knowing that God wants to purify us, all we have to do is kind of just stand under it. And, and, and I have no really practical application for how you do that besides the fact that all you have to do right now is stand under God and say, Purify me. Clean me. I'm submitting this sin to you. I'm submitting my life to you right now. And what I want you to do, Lord, is show me your face because he will be faithful to do that. And as we take a steps in obedience, it's going to be a long process until we really see the face of God. I'm not saying tonight that you're going to absolutely just like God is going to come in thunder and clouds and, and reveal himself to you. I'm saying is that tonight can be the start of a process where, where God wants to prune and clean those, that dirtiness out of you. It all starts with confession. God wants to just start pruning you. He wants to start getting all that filth out so then he can enter into your heart and say, I'm here. You wanted me. And that's on our, that's on our table. The ball's in our court with that one. We have to bring that before God. Amen? We have communion up here. This helps me worship. I don't know about you. It, worship, it helps me worship. Remembering that Christ, his body was broken, nails went through his wrists and feet, a crown of thorns laid upon his head, and he was crucified. His beard was ripped out of his face, and he was flogged to an unrecognizable state for us. And the blood that was shed was his proposal to us, saying, I want to be with you. I'm proposing you. I'm proposing to you via my blood. Will you take this covenant? Will you accept me? Will you be with me? This is my engagement ring. Will you marry me is what he's saying. Will you enter into this relationship with me? And so as we take communion, we're going to remember the cross. As we worship, we're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember that Christ purifies us. And we don't do anything to purify ourselves. Stand under the waterfall of grace tonight. Amen. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we want to worship you tonight without any baggage. We want to worship you tonight without any sin keeping us from having a good conversation with you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purify our hearts, Lord, and show us your face. Not just in ourselves, Lord, but in other people, Lord. Pray that you purify us, God. Work on our hearts tonight as we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have Wilson and